Hey, it's Stephen Henderson. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the UAW strike, which is now in its first full week. There were negotiations over the weekend. They were not able to resolve the issues between workers and management. We're going to talk with Paul Eisenstein, an industry expert, about what all of this means, not just for the workers, but also for the companies and for the industry. We'll also talk with Stephen Greenhouse about labor and this moment where you see lots of clashes between workers and management. Paul, uh, welcome back to Detroit Today. It's good to be with you again. Yes, it's great to have you here. Uh, Also, just a heads up to listeners that many of our employees here at WDET are represented by the UAW. want to make sure that you understand that uh, this is personal for us, too, here at WDET. Okay, Paul, let's start with this. I would love to have you put these strikes in context. Tell us why they are considered historic. There are 400,000 members in the UAW, and only 13,000 technically are on strike. So why is this such a big deal? Well, let me let me expand on your numbers. There are 400,000 because the UAW has, over the last couple of decades, realized it needed to expand. Uh, since I started covering the business in 1979, uh, it shrunk from about a million auto workers to about 150,000 U.S. auto workers. So, as you mentioned, uh, you guys over at uh, WDET, uh, there are agricultural workers and the like who are also covered by the union. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, it, it is historic in many ways. Sean Fain, who won in a squeaker of a runoff election earlier this year, has Uh, You know, you could say it's personal. He really wants to make his personal mark. He'd like to go down as not just a, you know, a one-termer. And so he has really decided to act strongly, make himself known. Uh, But he's doing so at the time that that seems, I guess you'd call it appropriate. There's a lot of change in the industry. The industry has continued to shrink, at least in, in terms of Detroit's role as more and more foreign manufacturers gain more and more share. And of course, there's the upstart Tesla, which is really threatening everybody as the industry moves to electrification. You have the the issue of profits. You just mentioned an important one, $250 million over a decade. At the same time, uh, workers have essentially had their, their gains frozen. They really haven't done very well uh, compared to uh, to what they might have in the past. And then adding on top of that, really motivating a lot of workers, you have the huge salaries that top executives are making. Now, when you add in bonuses and everything else, Mary Barra uh, reportedly took home about almost $30 million last year. So you've got a very motivated uh, workforce among UAW auto workers. And on top of that, you have a, a, a president who is not following precedent, uh, most notably by declaring a strike, albeit a limited one, mm-hmm. against all three manufacturers. Very different from what we would have seen in the past, where the UAW would have focused on a so-called strike target, the company they thought was likely to be most generous. And then once they had a settlement there, they'd move to the next company and then the third. 
So, so let's talk about the, the, the that decision to strike all three. Explain to people why that's unusual uh, and, and what it means. It, it is, I think, from my chair, a, a clear indication that he wants the company's attention and not just about what's on the table here. He is trying to send a message about the relationship between the workers in this industry and and management? Well, first of all, I think he is doing a very good job of getting all the union members to feel part of the same union. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the past, yeah, if if you belong to any of the big three, uh, you, you, you had a sense of solidarity, but the focus was typically on one company. So say if, if like last time, the target was GM that got hit with the strike, uh, the workers at Ford and Stellantis might feel a little bit removed from this situation, at least until it was ter- their turn to have their union negotiators try to get a contract at that company. So this strategy really binds all of the auto workers within the UAW together. And I think that was brought home by the size and the intensity of the rally that they had the other day. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a very important thing. I think it sends a clear message to the automakers that there is real solidarity this time and that things are not going to happen the way they did before. That's really important right now because remember, we're seeing a transition from internal combustion to electrification, electric vehicles. And that's going to impact who works on the line and how many people work on the line. Autos, uh, electric autos require fewer workers. And so that's a big transition that the industry may face. The union wants to make sure it has maximum power to negotiate going forward. Yeah, I'm talking with uh, Paul Eisenstein. Uh, he's a senior contributing editor of the new media site Headlight.News. He is someone who has covered the auto companies and auto workers here in Southeast <laughs> Michigan for many, many years. Uh, we're talking to him, of course, about the strike that the UAW called against all three Detroit automakers last week. We saw intense negotiations taking place this weekend to try to to resolve that strike, it didn't happen. And so we are now into the first full week of this strike. Uh, and I think the apprehension that people might be feeling is starting to take hold. Uh, how long will this go? How many industries, related industries, will be affected? And of course, what will happen to the workers who are now not getting paychecks uh, as part of uh, these strikes? Uh, how long can the union ask people to hold out for the things that they want from uh, the auto companies. Uh, I want to listen to a clip of WDET's Alex McLennan. This was Friday morning last week. He was talking with a laborer who joined the union in 2021. Let's listen to what Alex heard. Despite the rhetoric from some in the UAW, our negotiating team has been focused on delivering an offer that enables you to participate fully in the company's success and provides the security of a strong GM by enabling us to continue to invest to bring everyone along. 
Okay, that was actually GM CEO Mary Barra talking about the strike. Uh, we want to get queued up Alex McLennan's, uh, Alex McLennan's interview with Labor from last Friday. If we don't get overtime, we're struggling paycheck to paycheck. And even with overtime, we shouldn't be expected to work 50, 60 hours to be able to maintain our lives. Okay, that was uh, a laborer who joined the union in 2021 uh, talking with WDET's Alex McLennan last Friday as the strike was just starting against the Detroit uh, automakers. Uh, Paul, what are the conditions for workers right now and how much worse have they become over the last 10 years or so? We were talking about all the profit that these companies are making these days. They have rebounded in ways I think none of us might have imagined from the bankruptcies, which are now almost 15 years ago. Uh, Are workers in a better position because of that strength, that profit strength, or are they really being left behind? The UAW workers get, by American uh, blue-collar standards, very good wages and benefits. Uh, their total their total package, including health care, which is basically uh, uh, a, a no-deduction, no-deductible type of package, is very good. Uh, even under some of the uh, some of the contracts that have been proposed, they'd be taking home somewhere in the neighborhood of ninety thousand dollars in cash in one form or another each year. So, I mean, if you're a teacher, uh, a cop, a uh, firefighter, or the like, I think uh, most of those folks, if they knew the numbers, would probably be envious of the UAW already. That said, they worked darn hard for it in a very tough environment. I don't want to minimize what they get, but. Uh, they are uh, among the cream of the the blue collar workforce and even among some uh, some other uh, common workers like uh, uh, teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do very, very well. Uh, they also do significantly better than workers at non-union plants. I think right now they're about 20 to 30 percent better uh, than what they make at, say, the, a, a Toyota plant down in Kentucky or the Tesla plant out in uh, California and the other one in, in Texas. So it's important to get it under perspe- into perspective. Now, Stephen, one more thing I'd like to point out. You, mm-hmm. you mentioned all those folks who depend on getting money from workers uh, once they get their paychecks, and you're, you've got an absolute point. Uh, just the indirect workers at supplier plants, uh, uh, factory maintenance, janitorial, all those people who are not in the UAW, uh, the general rule of thumb is that there's about 11 and a half workers for every auto worker. And so if all 150,000 UAW members at the big three were to walk, you'd be talking about close to 2 million people directly affected. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't include like you said, the hairdressers or the restaurant workers or the plumbers and and such that are hired by UAW workers who might have to be, uh, you know, that work might have to be put on hold till the strike ends. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation with Paul Eisenstein about the strike against the Detroit 3 automakers. Also, get going with you, the listeners on the phones. We'll be right back more Detroit Today.
talking with Paul Eisenstein, a senior editor at headline.headlightnews.news. Uh, we're talking about the strike against the Detroit Three automakers and what will happen not only to the workers who are striking, but uh, also uh, to the rest of us here in southeast Michigan, so dependent on the economy that's created uh, by the auto companies and their sales. Uh, Gary in Hamtramck, uh, you're up first. Gary, what's on your mind? Hi, Stephen. Paul, mm-hmm. I had a question for Paul. I uh, Last week there was an interview on uh, NPR with a picket I think at, at, out in Wayne, and his father is still working at, at the plant and and has about 27, 28 years of seniority, and he had about five or six years in seniority. He was full-time, but he mentioned the substantial difference in retirement for himself versus his father. Mm. And leaving aside the question of uh, defined benefit versus defined contribution, uh, pensions. I was just wondering if Paul had a ballpark idea about the the cost savings in health care for retirees. How much would it cost the big three to equalize the uh, the, the retiree health care? Yeah, yeah. Gary, great question. Uh, thanks for the call. Paul, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Stephen. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to leave after yeah. this. Yeah. I have a uh, a meeting with somebody to talk about these uh, negotiations, so I have to blast out. Yeah. Uh, but I don't have a hard number. Definitely, there would be a higher cost uh, to bring current workers up to the same pension and medical care uh, standards that they had for older workers. As you know, uh, there was a big change in medical costs uh, under a contract uh, a few contracts ago. I don't see that going back to the earlier form. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if the companies in any way shift back to a more traditional defined pension program. As as you know, they moved away from that. Uh, and, and they claim that going back to the old pension form would add up to billions and billions of dollars in higher costs. I think they're going to find some compromise in there, uh, perhaps with a higher matching number from the companies. Uh, but I don't see them going back to the old ways. Yeah. Okay, uh, Paul, uh, as you said, I know you, you've got to go. I wanted to make sure I got that question to you. But uh, Paul Eisenstein, senior contributing editor of Headlight.News, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for being great here. Great to be with you. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. Okay, we're going to continue the conversation. We're going to get Stephen Greenhouse of the New York Times on the line to talk about the the labor context for all of this. There's so much going on with labor in this country right now. Uh, we want to continue to hear from you as well on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Let's go back to the phones here and talk with Brandon here in Detroit. Brandon, what's on your mind? Hey there. Just wanted to make a comment. Mm-hmm. I'm a white-collar worker, and my wife is a blue-collar union worker, mm-hmm. not directly under the UAW, but in affiliated union. And based on our discussions, there are a lot larger ramifications to this strike mm-hmm. throughout the workforce. Uh, based on their demands, it not only impacts the blue-collar workforce, but that can trickle up to the white-collar workforce. 
for example, a four-day work week, uh, a demand of pensions, and if this strike is successful, I think it will benefit a lot more of the middle class. Uh, so, Brandon, give me a sense. I think that's a really interesting observation, but but give me a sense of for you then in your household uh, what this strike means, and I guess how how long you feel like you could go in order to achieve that outcome that you're talking about that things would get get better. How long are you prepared uh, essentially to to have a strike that could affect? income in, in, in your household as well? In our household, we could go a number of months. Uh, we're already frugal, but I think the demands are largely reasonable. Mm-hmm. Maybe not to the extent uh, that one side or the other is demanding, but when we reach a middle ground, I think it is going to benefit every party involved. Maybe not the bottom line of these publicly offered companies, but that's the point. Yeah, yeah. Brandon, I really appreciate the call and and that insight, uh, the, the, the personal knowledge and experience that you're having uh, inside all of this is really, really important. Okay, uh, I want to go ahead and welcome Stephen Greenhouse to the program. Uh, Stephen... Uh, is a senior fellow at the Century Foundation and the author of the book Beaten Down, Worked Up, The Past, Present, and Future of American Labor. He also uh, worked for a long time for the New York Times. Stephen, welcome back to Detroit Today. Very nice to be here. Yeah. So uh, I, I want to start uh, with you giving your sense of what this strike means in historic terms. What's the magnitude of 13,000 UAWs walking out at all three Detroit automakers. This is a very important strike. Uh, as your, a lot of your listeners know, this is the first time the UAW has gone on strike against all three big uh, Detroit automakers at once. Uh, it's also important because um, Sean Fain, the new president of the UAW, and, and, and the people behind him are trying to show that this is a new fighting UAW, we're not going to uh, quietly accept concessions. We're going to fight. We're going to strike. We're going to demand our fair share. And you know, with the huge inflation of the of the past year and a half, and GM, Ford, and Stellantis making record and near record profits, they're saying things are broken. There's too much income income inequality. We, the UAW, are going to lead the fight to try to fix things in the economy to let Americans know that things are broken. And in that way. He's echoing the great, the greatest UAW leader, Walter Ruther, who really tried not just to be a union leader to help his members, but to be a union leader that was fighting for the working class across the nation to try to make sure corporations share more of their profits and prosperity with their workers. Yeah. So let's talk a little about that national labor context, uh, it, it does seem like one of the things the UAW and Sean Fain are talking about is the nature of capitalism right now, that that you've got big companies that make lots and lots of money. Uh, and while they may share some of it uh, with the, the people who work there, there's this growing gap between 
the top echelons of, of management at, at, at companies and, and workers themselves. That's not something that we just hear in the auto industry. Uh, and, and what we're seeing in some other sectors is organizing happening uh, for the first time in a, in, in a long time, that, that this idea uh, that, that a union is the way to get a better relationship between workers uh, and, and management. Talk about how important that is in the context of the auto industry, this, this really critique, I guess, of, of capitalism that, that, uh, that Sean Fain is, is mounting and how it echoes across other sectors. Um, great question. So I just saw, I was just reading a report that said since 2008, uh, average wages for auto workers has to have declined by 18% after factoring in inflation. Mm. At the same time, over the past 10 years, GM Ford Stellantis have earned uh, profits of $250 B billion. In the first six months of this year alone, they've earned $23 billion in in profits the um ceos of the three companies their pay has skyrocketed going to somewhere between i think 23 million and 29 million each a year and the workers are saying again there's something really broken here there's something unfair here there's something systematically wrong with american capitalism i i saw that the president of the u.s chamber of commerce issued a statement saying you know, the real reason for the strike is Joe Biden being so pro-union and he's inspired people to be more militant. Mm. And, and you know, nothing could, I mean, that's such a falsehood to, to blame Biden's being pro-union for the strike. And, and uh, I argue the real reason for the strike is that there's something very broken about American capitalism, that for decades we've seen corporate America you know, many, many companies, whether, you know, GM or GE or, you know, focus on maximi maximizing profitability, maximizing stock price, maximizing stock buybacks, maximizing productivity, uh, maximizing dividends, trying to hold down what they pay workers. And all that has produced uh, growing income inequality. In the United States, income inequality is greater, is worse than in any of the other major industrial nations. And, you know, the American workers are generally getting a smaller share of the nation's economy, smaller share of GDP than basically any time since World War II, as corporations get a larger share uh, of GDP and profits. So, you know, Sean Fain and the UAW are basically trying to say it's time to stand up. It's time to stop this. It's time to try to reverse this. Mm -hmm. And on one hand. You know, I think some of us might think that um, the union's demand for a raises of 40% plus is very, very high, maybe absurd. But when you consider that they've lost 18% in buying power, 18% behind inflation, and and the automakers have gotten have been making record profits, you know, he says we want, you know, we lost 18%. We want to get more than that, and we want to move ahead. And you know, and this is historic for the UAW, which you know, it's ever since. The Great Recession of 2008, when GM and, and Chrysler and Stellantis filed for bankruptcy and Ford was teetering on bankruptcy, and they gave huge concessions since you know, in the 15 years since 2008, the UAW has really been a been known for making concessions, unfortunately. And again, Sean Fain is saying it's time for the era of concessions to stop. It's time for the UAW to stop being on the defensive. It's, it's time for us to try to turn things around. 
and and he you know since he was elected president in March he's really tried to mobilize the union to really educate workers about how income inequality and the cor and the corporations focus obsession with maximizing profits is really hurting the workers and he's trying to send that message not just to the auto workers but to the nation yeah so so it really is you know whether you want to call it an attack on capitalism or, or attack on on income inequality and unfairness it's an attack you know saying that the system is broken corporations are doing great you know the top one percent is doing great but the average worker um isn't i, I just saw this other statistic that was mind-boggling so in Back in 16 years ago, 2007, mm -hmm. a United Auto Worker member who began at GM Ford or Stellantis started at $19 an hour. Now, when they're hired, a, a, a UAW member goes to work at, at one of those three companies, they started actually $1 less in real dollars, $18 less than, than, than 16 years ago. So that shows in many ways, while the corporations have bounded ahead, while their profits have skyrocketed, the workers have moved backwards yeah. and, and had the starting wage kept up with inflation instead of starting at $18, they'd be starting at $29. And there's a huge difference in whether you and your family can make ends meet if you're making $20, $29 an hour rather than $18 an hour. Sure. Uh, in fact, we've got a little sound of President Biden talking about his position on these negotiations. But I believe they should go further to ensure record corporate profits mean record contracts for the UAW. Let me say that again. Record corporate profits, which they have, should be shared by record contracts for the UAW. And just as we're building an economy of the future, we need labor agreements for the future. It's President Biden doubling down on the side that Sean Fain and the UAW are taking in this dispute with the Detroit automakers that uh, big profits should mean gains for everybody, not just folks at the top. Let's go next to John in Warren. John, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, I John. just wanted to uh, make a comment about the UAW being in a position of, it seems like the demands are really, really out of touch as far as what they're asking for and getting themselves to a point where they might be pricing themselves out of the market. GM Ford and Chrysler went to China, went to Mexico and other countries because simply the workforce in UAW, we all heard the stories. And when you go to that extreme, the workforce, I mean, the UAW protects workers that don't work. And they have a, you know, the there's no, I guess, incentive to get more work done in productivity. And when you start pricing yourself out of the market, that's why jobs are going overseas, hmm. because the production is down. I've never been in a union. I've only heard the stories from union ag people who are in the union and what they've gotten away with, and that's really not a good day's work. And that's to pull back the reins a little bit, and let's make the demands realistic. So, so John, realistic and match up. So, John, have you been listening while uh, Stephen Greenhouse has been talking about what's been going on over the last fifteen or sixteen years? That, in fact, a starting worker at the Detroit Three today is making less money than they were 15 years ago. To, to ask for that. I to, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I understand that. And right now, my weekly, because I'm a sole proprietor of a business, mm -hmm. my weekly, uh, my check that I take home is probably $200 more than it was, I would say, 30 years ago. Now, I don't make as much as the union does, 
but I know how to, you know, not spend more than I make. And that's not, that's not a problem to people. With, that's a problem with a lot of people in, in the United States. But the fact of the matter is that's what it is. But you have to, if you keep on increasing your wage to a point and you're sitting at General Motors and Ford and Chrysler, and why would we pay this when we can go down to Mexico, when we yeah. can go that, so, especially when you cannot get the workers to do so, well, I mean, I'm going to have Stephen Greenhouse address your critique about the work, which I think is is probably not accurate. But, but John, I also want to ask you about executive pay at the auto companies, which has ballooned in the last 15 years. I mean, Mary Barra making almost $30 million a year. Are you okay with that? Even I'm, as, not, I'm, I'm not okay with that, but okay. everybody on that line in the UAW has the right to go to college, to get a degree. And let's face it, sometimes, you know, you're like, I'm not expecting to make $3 million a year. I'm not expecting that because my level of intelligence, my level of ability is is at its, at its max. And we're all going to fit that no matter what. Is it obscenely? Yes, I believe it is obscene. And it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, and well, but so, and the union you know, is the way that you... more fairer. My only concern was I mean, when you start to, I guess, be unrealistic about the goals you're trying to, like you're trying to gouge back for what you gave up. Let's just let's do a four percent increase the first year, four percent increase the second year, and mm. let's make it so that they have a job and that they're not making these cuts or having to take yeah. deep recession. Or okay, John, I, next time the economy goes down, John, I really get I get what you're saying. I, I disagree. Uh, but I really appreciate that you called and, and shared that point of view. So, Stephen Greenhouse, uh, to John's point, the, the, the companies have already started layoffs, 600 employees at the Michigan Assembly plant in Wayne here in southeast Michigan, temporarily laid off uh, by Ford on Friday. And GM is talking about laying off some 2,000 employees at a Kansas City plant. Is that is that what the UAW is is risking. I mean, what John's saying is you, they're asking f- for too much. Is is that a reasonable position as well? So I, I'll agree in part with John and disagree strongly with John in part. So, so John, you know, we could agree that you who works very hard, auto workers who work very hard, McDonald, you know, that workers who work very hard should earn a decent living, you know, and if you have a job with some of the, you know, world's most important companies like GM, Ford and Stellantis, you should be able to support your family. And I think you'd agree that if you're making $18 an hour, it's going to be very, very, very hard to support your family. And even at $18 an hour, the starting wage, you know, that's probably three, four times as high as workers earn in in Mexico and probably eight times as high as workers earn in China. So you're kind of saying, John, well, we don't need any jobs in America. Just ship them all to Mexico and China and anyone who wants to make more than $5 an hour, screw them. You know, you know, we want to have a good, healthy economy. We want, we want to make sure that people earn enough to support their families. That's been the fight since the union movement, you know, started, you know, really took off in the 1930s and 40s, you know, especially in Michigan, especially in Flint and Detroit. So, you know, the, you know, so I think the auto workers are making a very good case that um, $18 an hour, $20 an hour doesn't cut it anymore, that you need $50,000, $70,000 really to support a family. So I disagree. I think you know workers should be making a decent amount so that they can support their family. And yes, that means wages will be higher than in Mexico or China. Yeah. But uh, second, I, I I think that 
you know, you know, the union is kind of has a big wish list. Not only wants a 40% increase, it wants pensions restored to what they had been. It wants a four-day week. It wants health coverage re returned to what it was. And I think, in ways, the union's demand is this list of all the things they've been angry about for the past 20 years, all the things they've made concessions about. And I think realistically, they're not hoping to win on every issue, like getting pensions fully back to where they were, getting healthcare fully back, getting a four-day work week. Uh, but I think on pay and cost of living allowance and ending two-tier, I think they're very, very serious about winning on that. Mm. And, and, uh, and, you know, I trust the union leadership more than John. I think they're smart enough to know that we don't want, you know, our pay to be so insanely high that it will render GM Ford and Stellantis uncompetitive vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, you know, other automakers. All right. uh, Stephen, I, I need to get to a break, but I also want to have you address what John is saying about work. Uh, I think this is a, a persistent misnomer that people have that somehow the union is protecting people who don't work. Uh, can you talk about how and why that's just false? Yeah, so, you know, there were times in union history where unions uh, worked too hard to protect people who were not working hard enough. That has really changed. Management has gotten much more sophisticated in contracts and figuring out ways and getting contract language so that when a worker is really screwing off, when a worker is underperforming, that work can be pushed out. And I think the union increasingly realizes that for, you know, GM Ford Stellantis to succeed, for them to remain competitive, for them to stay in business, that, you know, the you know if you're a, a union member and you're in a team of like 10 union members and, and the one is totally, you know, messing up, screwing up and not working, you want everyone to carry their load and you're not dying to like, oh, we want to protect this, this jerk, uh, even though he, she's not doing where I think, now it's you know it's it's really different i think union unions increasingly realize that's important that everyone uh do the work pull together carry their load yeah okay we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll continue to talk with stephen greenhouse about the uaw strike as well as this moment in labor in our country we'll be right back with more detroit today Listening to Detroit Today, I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Stephen Greenhouse, a senior fellow at the Century Foundation and author of the book Beaten Down, Worked Up, The Past, Present, and Future of American Labor. We're talking about what's going on in labor right now in Detroit and Southeast Michigan in particular, the UAW striking all three automakers and demanding that uh, workers share more equitably in the incredible profits that those companies have been racking up. Let's go next to Deborah in Detroit. Deborah, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, I'm going to refute the earlier caller in, in, in as few points and as few words as possible, which mm -hmm. is difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, I hired into Detroit Hamtramck, college hired in as a supervisor on the line, the foreman, first line supervisor. They were doing something new. They want to change agents, and that is what we did. Mm -hmm. I did such a good job that I supervised probably over 3,000 people. Uh, because I was a vacation replacement. Let me refute a few things. And then I moved into financial and purchasing, so I see both sides. First of all, uh, we were in China to sell cars to the Chinese. Yes. 
There is no way in the world that a part that I make for a dollar in the U.S. and ship for 15 cents uh, is more expensive than a part that I pay 15 cents for, and it costs me $2 to ship it over, and then I got to ship it back and forth because the quality was horrible. It was always bad, but they hang in in order to sell the cars in that market. That's number one. The other thing is that, yes, we've all heard the stories, and oddly, when I first worked in the plant supervising the people, some of them will leave the stories. Mm. They are just the myths that are a part of the culture. (laughs) That lemon, the Monday car, that is not true. There is no Monday car. It's just, it's just not true. It's just not true. I have the facts and so on. And in fact, if we want to talk about workers slacking off during my time uh, in uh, purchasing and financial and supporting, because I've also worked for Ford, uh, there was more slack <laughs> on the salary side yeah. than there was. So, because Deborah- union. So, Deborah, I I, want to get you to talk just a little about what you make of this strike and the things that the union is asking for and how long you are willing to to wait to to try to get all of that. It is so worth it because the union represents the only real representation that American workers have. It is the only way you're going to get a fair dollar. We started indentured servitude and enslaved servitude and now prison servitude not paying a fair wage. And there's always a push uh, to not do it. The, the, the forces run to disorder, right, the entropy in the universe. And so the union places a firm hand and says, listen, this is what we have to have. And it's not unreasonable i I don't understand we all live off of that if the people don't build trucks uh if the people don't build escalades i as a resident of the u.s and particularly detroit i am going to suffer because i need those paychecks in the economic system buying goods. That's how it works. Deborah, Deborah, I really, I really appreciate your call and uh, the insight that you're able to give us uh, as somebody who, who works in the industry. Thanks so much. Uh, I want to go next to Ron in Detroit. Ron, uh, what's on your mind? Yeah. Can you hear me? I can. Go ahead, Ron. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I'm a 30 year Ford retiree, about half my time on the assembly line making cars and the other half in tool and die, so trades. And I'm very glad to have my retiree benefits, but the workers coming up now will not have those. I thought I'd just limit myself to to one demand Mm -hmm. that the UAW has for the sake of time here. President Fain is talking about 32 for 40. Mm -hmm. In fact, 30 for 40 is a historic demand of the UAW for people to have some kind of work-life balance and not to work until they're injured. Uh, When when I was working, and this is straight from my experience on the line, Mm -hmm. workers routinely made the bargain with themselves that 
whether overtime was voluntary or mandatory, usually was mandatory, they would work until they were permanently injured yeah. by the time they were retired. They wouldn't know their kids or their spouse, and their spouse or their kids wouldn't know them for the sake that their family would be financially somewhat secure. Hmm. Now, people should not have to accept a life of permanent injury and alienation from their families, working so many hours uh, like that. Yeah. And for for the for the new workers, Ron, I, I don't want to cut you worse. off. I don't want to cut you off, but we're going to run out of time, and I do want to get Stephen Greenhouse to respond to the things that you're saying and and that Deborah said uh, earlier. So, but but thank you very much for the call, uh, Stephen. Uh, th- this idea of what it's like for these workers, I think, is really important to keep in mind. Uh, Ron's story, Deborah's story. Uh, these are the things that people need to understand when we're thinking about the strike and the things that the UAW is asking for. So thinking of what John, Deborah, and Ron just said, I'm thinking during the during the pandemic, a lot of you know blue collar workers, factory workers, you know, retail workers had to go to work every day yes. and risk their lives every day. And here, you know, we heard John saying, oh, these people don't work hard enough, but they are risking their lives every day while the white white collar workers who are able to, you know, the ones who are making $150,000, $200,000 a year or a million dollars a year, they're they're staying at home during the pandemic and they're not working very hard at all. So, you know, I think too many of us forget how hard, you know, the nation's essential workers, blue collar workers, service workers worked during, um, during the pandemic and they deserve to be rewarded for it because they weren't rewarded properly for it during, during the pandemic. I'm, I'm all for going to a four day work week, Mm -hmm. but you know, we have to do it in a way, uh, that's carefully thought, you know, I think AI will make it easier for us to move to a four day work week, but you know, as we do it, we have, we want to make sure that, um, the companies, the employers we work for can remain competitive. And I think, you know, it's good that Sean Fain and the UAW are, are demanding a four-day work week so that people could spend more time with their families at too many factories in the United States, including at some automaker fact, auto factories, workers have been forced to work six, seven days a week, which, yep. which, which as Ron says, you know, you, you know, your family, you know, stops getting to know you and you stop getting to know your workers. So, <laughs> you know, I, I'm all for some kind of maximum time rule saying you can't be forced to work more than five days a week. And, and it would be great if we could move to four uh, four days a week, but I, I imagine GM Ford and Stellantis is saying, Ron Fain, you're asking for raises. Uh, sorry, Sean Fain, you're asking for raises of 40%, plus you want to move plus to four-day work. Yeah, that's a that, tough that's, that's, that's a lot to swallow right now, especially when we're spending you know billions of dollars developing EVs, especially when we face intense competition competition for non-union people like Tesla and and Hyundai. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephen Greenhouse, uh, really great to have you here to put all this in labor perspective. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Thanks so much. Be well. Keep up the good work. Yes. And that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow and we're going to talk about a new court program for Wayne County to increase the employment for those who've committed misdemeanors. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll see you next time on the Detroit Today podcast.